Have you ever worked for someone who isn't nearly as competent as they think they are? Would you be shocked to learn that statistically, they are more likely to be men than women or male than female? Men are typically more deceived about their talents than women are, and they're also more likely to succeed in their careers. And that, according to my next guest, is because one of the best ways to fool other people into thinking you're better than you actually are is to first fool yourself. But it lies at the root of a much larger problem. Incompetent leaders across the spectrum, from business to politics, have an outsized impact on their staff and their followers. That is especially serious these days when labor shortages are giving people a lot more choice about where they work and who they work for. So issues such as low levels of engagement, trust and productivity and high levels of burnout and stress are even more damaging. Well, joining me now to talk about this is Thomas Chamorro Premuzic. He's the Chief Innovation Officer at Manpower Group, a professor of business psychology at both University College London and at Columbia University in New York. He is also the author of the bestseller, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Fix It. Welcome to the show. Thanks for your time. It's a great pleasure. One thinks that these days, just with the sheer amount of competition that there is for for staff uh, of all levels, that leadership has probably become more important than ever before in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think leaders play a very important role attracting, retaining, developing, and engaging people. We know that managers alone account for 40% of the variability in all these outcomes. So, you know, if we want to think about reskilling and upskilling, the main target for any of these interventions should be managers and leaders. If you are an incompetent manager or leader, people won't want to work for you, especially when we have tight labor markets and when there is talent scarcity. So it's, it's a program, problem that we had before. It has been amplified now, I would say. Given how much we know about, uh, about leadership in many ways, it's not like it's an unknown topic. How is it that so many organizations continue uh, to get it wrong? Um, well, this is a very um, difficult and challenging question because there are many, many reasons, right? Perhaps, you know, I was asked recently whether in the future we will have fewer organizations that get it wrong. It might be that the percentage of organizations that excel at hiring and developing competent leaders remains the same, that the number is the same. We know they will outperform the others. But I think the biggest opportunity for progress is really to learn to distrust our instincts, to de-emphasize um, the importance of things like the job interview, hiring on culture fit, hiring people that looks that look or seem or behave just like ourselves, and really start to apply some of the science that we've had for decades. I always get very frustrated because all of the questions that we're asking have been answered in the last three or four decades by research. We seem to struggle to apply these findings and to become more evidence-based. One of the reasons things that you often point out, of course, is this whole notion of confidence versus competence. And uh, that very much uh, was the thesis or not the direct thesis. I'll let you speak to that, but very much uh, the thrust of why do so many incompetent men become leaders? Yep. And so the story is pretty straightforward. You know, for most of the time when we were, you know, busy or um, concerned with the issue of um, gender imbalance in leadership, we assumed or people assumed that the overrepresentation of men in leadership roles is a function of their talent or their competence. 
But actually, if you look at the data, both from public and private sector, and you understand that the vast majority of leaders are not just male, but also incompetent and that they underperform at all levels, then you have to ask yourself whether the overrepresentation of male in leadership roles and the overrepresentation of incompetent people in leadership roles are connected. And when we look at the research that we and some of our colleagues have conducted, you realize that the single most impactful variable to explain this phenomenon is that we focus too much on confidence, how good people think they are, or how good people pretend to be in um, personal interactions. And we focus too little on competence, how good they actually are. Uh, It's all about style and not substance. And incredibly, as the world becomes more complex and the need to be more data-driven increases, we sort of give up and we play it by ear. So we want to decide who runs the country based on a two-minute presidential debate on TV. We want to vote for politicians based on whether we would they would want to have a beer with us or vice versa. And even when we pick executives for uh, corporations or organizations, we go, we play it by ear and we trust our gut feeling, our intuition. It shouldn't be feelings about facts, but the actual facts that we pay attention to. Uh, you, you've described why this is. Uh, one of the most fascinating things that you point out, of course, is that to be able to fool other people about your own competence, you have to fool yourself first. And that is a gift uh, that we find uh, quite often, I imagine, amongst uh, those who don't uh, have the skill set to become leaders, but climb the ladder nonetheless. Absolutely. So this is the evolutionary explanation for the prevalence um, of, uh, you know, uh, overconfidence. Um, you know, throughout times, we found that uh, people in general think very highly of themselves, uh, unrealistically so. Optimism bias is far more common than realism or pessimism bias. And self-deception is very, very common, not, by the way, only Uh, among humans, but also other animals. In fact, I recently read a study that crayfish also uh, are capable of deceiving themselves about their strengths and aggression in order to intimidate other crayfish. So, you know, we fall for people who uh, are unjustifiably pleased with themselves, who are unaware of their limitations. And, you know, as the old line goes, the best way to fool other people is to fool yourself first, because you don't even need to make an effort to deceive others. Uh, and, and as you point out, there are other issues here, too. You've said that, um, that, that social media, the digital age, has, has accelerated this as, this as well, because our attention span has perhaps has gotten even shorter uh, than it was before we become even more adoring of those who can uh, tantalize. Absolutely. So we have less time, less bandwidth. Um, you know, the brain has not been designed for thinking. It's designed to preserve energy and resources. So if we only have 15 seconds or so to process a tweet and you have algorithms that tell us what we want to read or want to hear, this opens, you know, a lot of opportunities for uh, incompetent and unqualified candidates to manipulate us. And, you know, the rise of populism coincides with this new wave of mass media consumption, which has been triggered by social media, etc. So I think, um, you know, it's interesting to me that you can have a lot of live fact-checking devices or algorithms during political debates and presidential debates, 
they don't change anything at all. Uh, we want to make up our mind within 30 seconds or 60 seconds. If we like somebody and they seem charismatic or they look good or, you know, they are more presentable, more attractive, that's it. We're going to vote for them. And then we're going to go to great lengths to think that they're doing a great job once they are on the job and we won't change our minds. You said that, and this is a question I know that you, uh, that you ask many, is that have you ever worked with people who aren't as good as they think they are? And, and that often, if the answer is yes, uh, it often is a man who is their leader. More likely, right? So statistically speaking, the probability of overrating yourself is about 30 or 40% higher if you're a man than if you're a woman. And statistically speaking, the probability of overrating your skills, your talents, your abilities is also higher if you're a boss than if you are an employee. And that's because, you know, we live in a world, especially the Western world, in which if you're good at self-promoting, sucking up to your bosses and blowing up your own trumpet, you're more likely to be seen as leader-like. Um, even if you think about interventions that are supposed to help women get to the top, we point the finger at women because they don't lean in or behave like overconfident and overly assertive, ambitious men. When in fact, in a normal world, we wouldn't wait for people to put themselves forward for leadership roles. We would look at who's actually performing a good job and who's capable of coordinating human action and who's focused on their actual work and who's adding value and tap them on the back and say, hey, why don't you want to be in charge? I think there is a, an old saying from Plato that says something along the lines of only those who don't seek pyre, sorry, only those who don't seek power should be allowed to have it. It's well put. Uh, I was speaking with Tomo Chamorro Pramusic. He's the author of Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Fix It. After this, we'll look into how to fix it. Stay with us. I'm speaking this half hour with Thomas Chamorro Primusic. He's the Chief Innovation Officer at Manpower Group, a professor of business psychology at University College London and at Columbia University in New York. He's also the author of the book, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Fix It? And that begs the question, how do we fix it? It's very simple. It, you have to follow the signs and look for the qualities that make people better leaders, even if they usually don't make people leaders. That means betting on competence rather than confidence, betting on humility rather than charisma, and betting on integrity rather than narcissism. In fact, if the vast majority of organizations, institutions, and nations got just a little bit better at selecting leaders who are competent and ethical, the world would improve a great deal. Um, you know, so you might be thinking easier said than done. Not really. We have the tools, the instruments to do it. And I think we also have an incentive because the people are generally better off if they're managed or led by competent and ethical individuals. That has been, I think, one of the key lessons of the last two years during this global pandemic. And yet, as everything gets more and more complex, it seems we're looking to people who can, you know, shout the loudest with the simplest of answers. Yes. And uh, I was recently speaking to a BBC reporter who, you know, had read my book and discussing uh, this issue and my research said, OK, you know, I understand everything you're saying, but who wants to follow a leader who says, I don't know? And I was shocked by this question. You know, I said, well, you know, maybe a rational person. I think if the average or typical maturity of followers and employees or subordinates is such that they only want to follow people who seem uh, extremely certain and who pretend to have the answers to all the questions, then they should know that they're really working for 
uh, a crook or somebody who is just totally deluded in the modern world, most problems are too complex for us to even know the answer. So I think any honest leader would say, no, but you should trust me that I I were to find the answer. And by the way, I will work through the team that I have. And because I, in the knowledge economy, knowledge is distributed and I need to adorse it so that we can get to actively. You know, we need to expect or demand more maturity from followers if we want the quality of leaders to improve as well. You've also said that this would be one way to tackle a very enduring problem, which is the gender imbalance in leadership. Yes, and contrary to what people think and contrary to uh, popular belief, the best gender diversity intervention would be to focus on talent rather than gender. Because as psychological studies have shown, if we select people on empathy, self-awareness, humility, uh, integrity, and even traits like curiosity and emotional intelligence, about 60% of the times we would end up with female leader candidates and 40% of the time male. So actually, um, you know, we don't need positive discrimination or affirmative action or quotas to help women get to the top. We should just remove the hidden informal quotas that exist right now, not just for men, but for incompetent men. By the way, there's a lot of men who actually have great levels of humility, self-awareness, coachability, integrity, etc. And ironically, they are overlooked for leadership roles because they don't remember, they don't resemble uh, an alpha male, you know, chimpanzee, macho-like, tough leader. So our criteria are actually upside down. And the damage it must do um, to many organizations, and as we started off by saying specifically now that the competition, specifically within the knowledge economy, is so intense uh, that people just won't tolerate bad leadership or won't tolerate being unhappy with their leadership. Yes, and I think that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's problematic and it's disappointing. Um, you know, I do believe in progress. I think uh, there's much to be said human ingenuity and adaptability and our ability to collaborate effectively has enabled us to make incredible advances in science and technology and you know and they have improved our quality of life but you still see that people are very stressed they're anxious they're unhappy they are disengaged at work they're miserable with their jobs and a lot of these problematic and negative outcomes can be explained by poor leadership choices and you know you can scale that all the way up to level of societies and countries i think at any point in time there's about 65 to 70 percent of countries that are poorly led some of them many of them failed states and approval ratings for governments and politicians hover around 35 to 40 percent so you know Everything we have achieved in science, technology, and every single indicator of progress has not automatically translated in better quality of life. And that's largely because we haven't got better at selecting leaders. Thomas, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.